I feel really, really, really tired right now. And I know I'm not alone. Uh, I talked to more than one person in the last week that, that I just expressed that to, and they, they kind of expressed it right back. One's here. I won't point them out. But uh, just exhausted from the last nine, you know, nine and a half months of life. And uh, this week was so indicative of what's made me tired. I know you all have your own personal reasons that you're tired, but, but this week was... This week was just like 2020 condensed, uh, just in one single week. And so let me tell you how this church service came about today. Uh, basically, it went like this. Bryn was supposed to lead music, my wife, and she was sick last week. I haven't been to the in-person gathering here in a month because of sickness in our house. We've had somebody sick solid three weeks. I'm not one of them because I'm too tough for that. But, uh, but, uh, but we've had somebody sick for three weeks solid. Normal years, I would have been at church, but this is not a normal year. So Bryn was sick. She's better. She's COVID tested. She's the safest person here. Um, but she uh, has a lingering cough. And so she's like, I can't sing. And so we, we turned to Daniel, who just led us in music. And that meant that we didn't have a person on the soundboard anymore. And so uh, I wasn't preaching this week. Like, what? He wasn't preaching. So I wasn't supposed to preach this week. And so we said, oh, well, Chad's, you know, not that bad at running the soundboard. And so he'll do the soundboard. So I moved to the soundboard. And then last night at 6.30 p.m., my brother-in-law, Matt, who was going to preach today, 6.30 p.m. on Saturday night, he, he sends, uh, he calls his wife, who I was with, actually. Uh, we were making gingerbread houses. And, and he says, uh, I threw up. You should probably leave those people's presence and come home. So I'm like, you know, my reaction is not poor Matt. My reaction is like, oh, what an idiot. Oh, you can't puke on Saturday night anymore. Like, that's not how it is. And him, actually, to his credit, I love him, if you don't know, he's like, he's like, I'm texting, I immediately text the elders of our church, what are we doing here, what am I going to do? Uh, and we had made this rule a few weeks ago, if we don't have people to fill in the key roles to make the service happen, we just cancel. And, and it kind of looked like that was going to happen. And Matt's like, let me call you. And, and it's so funny because it's the, this is just how it is now. He's, he's not like, He's not like, it sucks, I'm sick. He's like, man, I'm so sorry. Like, that's what he says to me. I am so sorry. He's like, you know that I would be there like any other year, right? But I don't think that you want me there and I don't think that I should come. And I was like, yeah, I know. And so we conceived of a plan to like have him record a quick sermon thing and then play a video. And then, you know, as we conceived this plan, we were like, oh, well, if we play this video, even though it's a free video, we wouldn't be breaking any copyright laws. There's a really good chance that Facebook and YouTube just shut down the live stream. And then all these people that are in that camera right there would no longer have church this morning. And so we're, we're like brainstorming on the phone and he's apologizing more than once. And I'm like, all right, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to preach. I find something that these people have never heard or they forgot about, you know, like in the past. And, and so I'm like, I'm going to preach. And then, and then Kevin, who's like our do-it-all volunteer, I'm like, Kevin can learn how to run a soundboard in the morning. Uh, and we'll just put him back there to hit mute and unmute, basically. We'll give him the basics. So I wake up this morning and, and I have a text from Kevin. It's the first thing I saw this morning. He said, uh, I don't feel well. We won't be at church today. And so I, I immediately, 6.45 this morning, I'm like, do we just shut this thing down? And, and then I'm thinking about it, and then I, you know, I, I, I'm sorry if I'm just going to call it. it was, Bryn's like, oh, Karen Ross signed up for church. And, and, and I know Karen Ross have been through a lot of difficult things lately. And, and I was like, you know what? 
who cares if it just sucks? Like, <laughs> Karen and Ross need to be at church this morning, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do church. Uh, and this whole year's been like that. I mean, that's, my wife and I are just, you know, we, we've wanted to quit more time. I've, I think I've wanted to quit one time in the nine years I've been the pastor at this church, and about four this year. Uh, and when I say like, I don't mean like a minute, I mean like weeks, where I'm like, what am I doing here? And here's the reality. I'm just going to say this. We can all get it out there. We're not going to return to the same church that we have had nine months ago. Uh, We've had people move away, important families in our church move away. And that's a normal part of church life. I've been at this long enough to know that happens. But we're not replacing them with people because we, we don't have church. And usually you have key families leave and miraculously God brings you another key family that helps you kind of keep going in the right direction. We've had momentum go up for us since I've been the pastor until, you know, March of 2020 uh, is the first time momentum went uh, down. And it didn't just go down. It was like getting punched in the face out of nowhere. Um, and and not only that, we've had people leave because they don't agree with how we're handling uh, this. You know, it's, it's slightly political. And I think they would claim it's spiritual and that they, you know, we just aren't doing it right. And, and that's not just our church. Trust me, we've been way better than most churches in that regard. Uh, but that's, that's every single church. And so, uh, you know, there's, there's that uh, that's, that's happening. And then, and then we have, and this is, this is the part that's saddest to me. It's not the people moving away who will go to other churches and, you know, I'll stay in contact with them and all that. And it's not the people who think I've done it all wrong and they're out of here. It's the people who, who kind of just came to church you know, like we have 175 people in our church, and in March we averaged 110 at our services. And a large portion of those kind of people that, that make up that 175, they're, you know, they're hanging on by a thread all the time in church. Like they could be done with our church at any minute. And, and most of them, if I can be honest, if they're done with our church, then they're kind of done with church. And now the world has given them every excuse to not be at church anymore. And we're going to lose we're going to lose so many of those people. And I, I hate that. I hate thinking about those people, people, families that are in my head that they found a place in our church, you know, barely. And they, they've stuck in there because they've built relationships, uh, because, uh, because they found it to be valuable to their lives just enough, you know, just enough to keep hanging in there and doing this really important thing that we call church. And, and now they, they just probably won't be back you know, uh, they just probably won't. And, and some of them aren't here right now because, because there's so many excuses, right? Like, you know what happens in August in our church in September, the weather's good. In July, we have weirdly good-sized services. But like in August and September, like people are gone, right? Because there's so many excuses to not be at church. And so people aren't at church. And that's just gonna be, it's just gonna be the way it is. And it's so discouraging uh, for me you know, because I love some of these people, and also because I spent eight years of my life working my butt off to change the momentum of a church. Something doesn't happen very often, like pastoring a dying church and seeing it start to reach people and impact lives. It just doesn't happen, and we were there. We were doing it, and it just came to a grinding halt, and now I you know, our church is in a better place than most churches. Churches are closing down. They're going to close down like crazy. Ours won't. Uh, there's no risk of that. There's no worry of that. That's not like even, we're just talking about trying to fulfill our mission. Uh, we're not talking about keeping the doors open, but, but it sucks. And, and sometimes you wonder, is it worth it? And, and so 
this is today, you know, as, I, as I've had the last couple of weeks, because Chuck preached a great sermon last week, Chuck, um, and, and Matt was supposed to preach today. I've had a couple of weeks to just really spend time in prayer and reflection. And God's been revealing some things to me. And so here's, here's what the sermon is, ready? It's gonna be this outline of a sermon that I preached uh, at, a, at a ministry event where uh, in our denomination for other pastors and leaders at churches. It's gonna be kind of a combination of that. We'll see how God works out. And then this piece of paper over here with some of the thoughts of, of what God's been putting on my mind the last couple of weeks and, and things that I was gonna talk about anyway. I just didn't know the format. And because Matt decided to hurl, I, I'm doing it now. Um, and, and so it's gonna, that's what we're gonna do today. And, and, and so I guess I'll start with church is really hard right now. And maybe you're wondering like why, you, you know, you're still doing it and, you know, is it worth it? And some of you online, I think even more, uh, you know, you're the people that's like, is it, is this worth it? Should I keep going? Uh, and, and at that conference that it wasn't a conference at that event I spoke at, I, I gave a couple of stats and these have to be way, you know, these have to be outdated now because of how the world's changed. But, but he, I said that half of pastors, and this was really current when I, when I preached that sermon, half of pastors of churches of 250 people or less experienced, experienced depression compared to, this is the key stat, ready? Compared to only 32% of pastors leading larger churches. And then this one, among churches with declining attendance numbers, 62% of pastors have experienced depression. And here's Here's why I bring up that stat. Because I think that pastors, and I think that people can be guilty of this too when they're picking a church or they're choosing their involvement in church or whatever. Pastors are the most guilty, but other people too. We really think that church is going well based on how many people are coming. Uh, most of you have never been a pastor. Chuck and I, I think, are the only two in here. And so Chuck knows, but here's the, here's the question that you get asked most of the time. How many people go to your church? Especially when you're a new pastor. I got it all the time. Like, how many people go to your church? And I say like 38 or whatever, you know, and, and, uh, and it was, I was kind of embarrassed, and I hate to admit that now. And, and here's what I see in, in the American church today. There's, there's these questions. I think it's it's sad. There's these questions that people ask when they really think about how church is going. And the questions are like this. First, this is the biggest one. Is it working? And by working, they mean are more people coming? Is more money coming in? And are you moving towards building a building or expanding your building? That's usually uh, how people think of it. Butts, budget, and buildings. That's how uh, the pastors say it sometimes. Like, are you filling the seats? Are you increasing money? And are you expanding, you know, your physical location? So that's a big one. Like when people think about church, they think, is it working? Is it moving forward in these kind of, you know, American ways to think about moving forward? Uh, another question, I see this in our denomination a lot, and as I you know, thought about this sermon, maybe I'm just talking to some of my pastor friends in our denomination, but, but here's another question that people ask, and, and it really hurts churches. Is this the way we've always done things? And any, any movement away from the way that it's always been done is seen as like, well, church isn't as good as it used to be. You know, we're not doing the songs I grew up with. We, you know, people don't sit in pews anymore. They let drums be on the stage. You know, like this was a real thing. Even when I was in, in college, like, you know, not that many years ago, uh, people were talking about how to get drums involved in a church setting because people look at church and they think, Here's, here's what's good about church, what, the way it's always been. And, and if it moves from there, then it's not as good 
as it used to be. I mean, and with that first one, it's like, how do I please people? How do I impress people? We, we, we've really been sucked up into this in the American church. We hold on. To, here's a big one for you who aren't, you know, you know, pastors. It's, is it the way I like it? I mean, does this fit my own personal leanings and the way I like church to be done? Is it cool enough, hip enough, or old enough and old-fashioned enough? You know, there's all kinds of ways that people like church, but is it the way that I like church? And today I want to just say that, that, that there's one thing that we need to be focused on. Uh, there's one question. It's the most important question that we should be asking are we doing our best? This is what should define whether church is going well or not going well. Not the numbers of our online stream, not how many people are willing to come and uh, you know, be at church with us, but this, are we doing our best to glorify God? Are we doing our best to glorify God? I've been asking this question over the last couple of weeks, not that question, but a question I think is connected to that. God put it on my heart comes out of a Tim McGraw song, Live Like You're Dying, if you know that song. But, but at the beginning of my two weeks of not preaching where I really had penciled in like, you know, I was supposed to be speaking at a conference and at an annual meeting for our denomination, but I had penciled in like, okay, well, Chuck and Matt are still willing to preach. And so I'm gonna spend time in prayer and reflection. And God just kind of brought this question to me because I feel like it's gonna happen. If I could go back at the beginning of all this and do it all over in ministry, what would I do differently? What would I do differently? And I hope as I answer that question, as God lays things on my heart, that it will all be about what would I have done differently in order to better bring God glory because he deserves it. And so let me, let me read to you Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. This isn't give sympathy to Chad because I know you're all tired. Um, but I think this verse is so important. I think it's the defining verse for our church in many ways. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more then all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. I love this verse. I think it's maybe the most important church verse in, in the Bible. I know it's the most important one to me and what I've tried to do with this church. It says so much, and, and the first parts, you know, in this, in this outline over here for these people that I spoke to a couple of years ago, uh, I didn't really talk about this at all, but, but today I want to. I want to just, just draw your attention to those first couple of things. First, to him, this is God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. I just want to just point that out to you because I think that's true in your life, and I know I know so many people, and I think suicide rates right now dictate this, so many people feel like they're at the end of their rope and that they can't imagine doing any more. They can't imagine continuing to, to fight in the areas that they've been fighting. And, and so you, for you personally, I just would remind you that God is able, he is able to do immeasurably more than all you even are asking him to do or you can imagine him doing. And so I know as you, as you walk through personally in life and you're, you know, your body's hurt, as my dad talked about earlier, your body's hurt, you're looking at politics and you're trying to navigate all that. You, I don't remember what else he said because I had a lot going on this morning. But all those things that he said, uh, I, just would, I would just say that, that, that it's, not a, 
It's not about what you can do because God is able. That's one of the great lines in the Bible, isn't it? God is able. Like, I just love that line. It, whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're thinking about, whatever you're struggling with, just, just remember that God is able and he's able to do more than you can even ask or imagine. And I love that because the ask part, like, that's cool, right? Because, because we're asking God for a lot of things right now. We are asking God for a lot of things, a lot of help. I think maybe people are praying more than they have ever prayed, even if they're not, you know, being a part of church more than they ever been a part of church because so many people see how many things they need right now. And so I would just say whatever God is asking or whatever you're asking God for in your life, I would say this to you. God is able to do more than that in your life. He's able to do better than that. He's able to do more than that. And not only that, but the things you're not asking for that are beyond, you know, your questions, you're saying, God, you know, make me feel better. I would I just remind you that God is able to do even more than you're able to to imagine. Like, it's not just what you're able to ask for. He's able to do more than what you can imagine. I can imagine a lot. I can imagine pink elephants, for example, you know, like, and, and God is able to do even more than that. Now, let me also be clear. He may not, but, but here's the, I, this is the part I love. If you believe two things, I know not everybody who's watching, I think everybody here believes these two things, but everybody watching is, does not. But, but if you believe these two things about God, then it should bring you great comfort. If you believe that God loves you, and man, over the last several weeks, we've been talking about the gospel in the book of Romans, and, and man, it points so... <coughs> excuse me, clearly to how much God loves you, right? I mean, that he would send his son <coughs> to die for your sins, that, that he would care at all about having a relationship with you, that he would invite you into his family. I mean, God absolutely loves you. So if you believe that, and then you believe that God has the ability to do more than you ask or imagine he is able, then it should bring you great comfort because, because what it reminds us of is that, that if God doesn't do something that you ask for, then it is because he loves you. And if God does do something that you asked for, it is because he loves you. I think we can look at God and we can question those things, right? Like, does he love me? The answer is emphatically yes to that question. We can also question God and say, well, do you have the power, the ability to do this? And then I'll tell you through scripture and even in my own life, uh, though it's hard to see sometimes, I can emphatically say, yes, God loves you and God is able. And when you believe those things, no matter what you face, no matter how difficult life gets, you can be comforted because those things are true. Now, as a church, I think this is, <laughs> this is equally important. I, I'm reading a church book right now, and, and it asks this question, and it so connects to, to this idea, like, what would I do if I could do it all again? It, the question was like, how would your church be different if God wasn't real? That's not an exact quote, but how would your church be different if God wasn't real, you know? Uh, because so much of what church has become today, uh, and, and I'm guilty of this, and I know I'm guilty of this, is just based on leadership principles of the world, right? Like, here's a better way to, to inspire people around your vision and your mission, and I, I listen to lots of podcasts. I read things about this. Uh, one of my favorite church books is Church Marketing 101. Maybe I shouldn't admit that to you, but uh, but I think it's a, a great book that helps people 
think through how they're communicating, what they're trying to communicate. But I can fall into the trap of just being church marketing 101, you know, and and that's how we can default to running churches. And so many churches are just that. It's better leadership principles. It's better marketing principles. It's better a study of demographics and, and what people are looking for in a church. It's going out and asking the community, what do you want in a church? Fine, we'll do it that way. Instead of, I think a more important thing is saying, God, what do you want in a church? We'll do it that way. And then we'll trust you to bring results. And, and, and I think that what one of the things God's saying to me is, is just, hey, less leadership principles, more my ability to do more than you ask or imagine, which I think points uh, to the need for more and more prayer. And, and I've tried to make prayer a bigger part of what we do in a service then I, I think most churches, most churches that I've been a part of, um, most churches I visit, uh, we, take, we have more time for prayer, but I just don't think it's enough. And so we're going to start adding more prayer into our services. Um, and it's because, because I don't want it, I want to be able to answer the question, how would your church be different if God wasn't real with like in every single way? Like nothing that we are accomplishing, nothing great that's happening here would be possible by us. Now, I think that's true anyways. I think that this success that I talked about earlier that we've seen, you know, in some ways come to a grinding halt, that we that we had 38 people that didn't connect at all, kind of grow into a church of 175-ish people that love each other and care for each other and impact the community and, and see impact every almost every single Sunday time, uh, morning when we get together. I mean, I think that God has done that, but man, I want to ask him for more and believe that he's able to do even more than what I'm asking or imagining. Now, this other part, it says that he does this according to his power, and that goes right with God is able. But one of the things God has whispered in my ear lately, I'm going to do an Instagram story about it. I just haven't yet. Um, uh, but but one of the things God has whispered in my ear is this is this kind of famous verse in the Bible. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And this is this is in response to Paul, who wrote the book of Romans that we're you know normally studying over the next several months as a church. Uh, it's in response to Paul asking for something and God saying no. He's asking for God to, to work in his life in a very specific way, which I think most of us are. And God is not answering yes to his prayer. God is not saying yes to that prayer. And then, and then Paul says, look, God is saying to me, my power is made perfect in your weakness. And I think so many of us just need to heed that because if you are anything like me, you're weak right now. You're mentally weak. You're spiritually weak. I started working out again this week, so I'm feeling physically weak, and some of you are. Uh, I mean, you're just, you just, I think, as I said, tired, fatigued. I, I alluded to in a letter I sent out to our church how it feels like we're running a marathon, but we don't know where the end is, which I think the only thing that can get somebody through a marathon is knowing where the end is, right? Like only 14 more miles. That sounds horrible. That wouldn't get me through, but... Uh, and here we are not having a clue how far in or how far out or when it's going to end. And, and I know that, that you guys feel that in your own personal ways. And I feel it as a leader of our church, just so tired of trying to navigate, oh, you coughed yesterday? Well, probably technically we should keep you home. And now I'm preaching a sermon. Uh, and you know, like that's just so hard. It's so hard. And, and not having a music leader right now is is honestly, it's it's making that more difficult. Much of that is falling to my wife. She's more tired than I've ever seen her, less enthusiastic about doing the work of church. And so I say to you, 
babe, uh, and everybody else here, I say that, that you should remember and we should remember that when we get to that place of weakness, that's when God's power is made perfect in us. And so, and this is so hard for me because I am somebody who just, I don't know, my dad's here. I grew up just kind of, you just get it done, right? Like grew up with a grandfather who didn't miss a day of work in 50 years working in a mill. wonder how many people he got sick. Uh, and, you know, like, uh, and, I, and I've always aspired to be like him until 2020. Like, I'll just get through it. And now I'm trying to stop and remember that it isn't about me. And when I am weak, God's power is made perfect. Uh, a buddy of mine is, uh, today's his last Sunday, preaching in a church that he planted uh, and he's he's going down uh, to pastor a church in, in Texas, actually. Uh, and uh, he sent out a tweet, and I loved the tweet. He said, today's our last day, but this church has never needed me. Uh, and, and I loved that. It's never needed him. This church doesn't need me here. Uh, and so our weakness is just an opportunity for God to display his power, to display the fact that he is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. But then there's this big word. If you're part of our church, you know that our mission here is to help you experience and express God's glory, to help people experience and express God's glory. And it's in large part because of what it says in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, talking to a church. It says, to him be glory in the church. The, the goal, the aim of the church, I know we have lots of ways that we describe what churches do and what they're supposed to be about, but, the, but the, at the heart of all that church is, the reason God created church, in my opinion, is to bring him glory. I think that is what the aim of the church should be. And in fact, in our church's history, if you haven't been around for a long time, those watching online, some of you, maybe this is your first live stream, I can tell you that, that in our church's history, where we've seen the most success is when we figured out that the church was about God's glory. We used to be focused on getting people to do things. Uh, now, that's, it was more spiritual than that, but that was kind of at the heart of it. Like, we wanted people to do things, things that were good for them, things that helped them, things that helped our church, things that moved God's kingdom forward. So there was lots of benefits to it, but that was kind of the goal. And, and several years ago, about four years ago, I think now, I was just just feeling like something is not right at our church. It's not enough. Things are moving forward. God has been faithful. God has been good. But I feel like we are missing something. And in fact, it was this. We're looking just like every other church, and that was not the goal when I started. And then God just revealed to me, look, look, you're so focused on, on, on reaching people and people and growing and people and people and people but it's never been about people. People are a part of it, but it is about bringing me glory. And this word glory then became so central to everything we do. Uh, every part of our work as a church is aimed at, at helping people experience and express God's glory. In other words, it's all aimed at the glory of God, at, at glorifying the creator of the universe. This, this word glory is the word doxa in Greek, and it denotes the recognition which anyone finds or which belongs to him. And it, it's connected to an Old Testament word, a Hebrew word, uh, that, that really refers to the weight of something. Uh, and, and so you put those two things 
together, you put them together and, and you begin to get the idea of it's a recognition of weight somehow. Let me just read you a quote. The word glory is related to God in the Old Testament, bears with it the idea of greatness or splendor. In the New Testament, the word translated glory means dignity, honor, praise, and worship. Putting the two together, we find that glorifying God means to acknowledge his greatness and give him honor by praising and worshiping him, primarily because he and he alone deserves to be praised, honored, and worshiped. And there's two things that you have to you have to realize when it comes to the glory of God. The first is that God is glorious. We cannot add to that or subtract to that. God is glorious. Now in that, God reveals his glory to people in certain and different ways throughout history. It's called the manifest presence of God. I think that's how we would describe it. God is glorious. He is transcendent and he is glorious, but God reveals that glory to people. He did it in creation. We just saw that in the book of Romans, that, that people didn't recognize his glory in creation, and so they, they made you know statues and they started to worship them. And then, and then he, he started this group of people up, and they're the Israelites. He started this nation up, and he began by showing up in fire on a mountain. He showed up. His presence was there in a unique way, and really what he was doing there was showing off his glory. And Moses even said when they're leaving there, if you don't go with us, God, then, don't go, then we don't want to go. We don't want to leave here because this is where you are manifesting your presence. This is where we see your glory. Uh, then it was in the tabernacle, this tent that, that they'd set up as they traveled around Moses. And, and we see that when Moses would go in, he would spend time in the, in the presence of God and he would come out and his face would be glowing with the glory of God. And then there was a temple built when the Israelites had their land and God, you know, on the very first day the temple was open, he filled it up with smoke so strongly that the priests couldn't even do their job. The glory of God showed up so powerfully and strongly that the people couldn't even do their work. And then Jesus shows up in Hebrews 1.3 says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus was the manifest presence of God on earth. God is glorious. We cannot take anything away from that. I heard it described in that same church book that, uh, that glory is to God as heat is to fire. And, and, and we get to see throughout history that God's heat was, was descended. He descended in certain places and in certain ways. And this is the reason that, that we need salvation. It, it's, it's part of God's glory. Uh, Romans three twenty three and 24. I read it the last time I preached. For all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace and the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. John Piper says the vindication of God's glory is the ground of our salvation. And the exaltation of God's glory is the goal of our salvation. John MacArthur says, now we are to give him glory, not in the sense that we add to his nature, but in the sense that we give testimony to his glory. Now here's the, I love this, and if you've been around, you know this. What happens is that Jesus goes back into heaven, and so where, then where did the manifest presence of God go? Uh, the, the temple, the, the veil in the temple was torn in two. It was like, hey, everybody now has access to God. Jesus ascends into heaven after being resurrected, and the question becomes, where does God manifest his presence now? A few weeks later, 
There's this day called Pentecost. The Holy Spirit shows up on the church, tongues of fire. Uh, It's this miraculous moment. It points back all the way, in my opinion, to that scene at the mountain where Moses and the people of God saw God's fire. They felt his warmth as close as they can ever get. And on that day called Pentecost, the church was started. And it's so clear to me that what God is saying is there is a new way that I'm going to display my glory on earth, and it is the church. Now, for me, that makes church just such a big deal, whether it's all going good or bad or otherwise. Church is a huge, huge deal, no matter whether we're called uh, important or not important by the world, whether we're essential or not essential in the, in the government's eyes. I'll tell you what, in God's eyes, he has chosen to make the church his manifest presence on earth. We are the representation of his glory. We are supposed to be the heat to God's fire. And we asked, like, is it working? You know, like, is there more people there Sunday? <laughs> like, isn't that, isn't that crazy? And the reformers, they had this because they had these, these statements, these solas, these onlys. And, and so you know, might know one, like sola scriptura, right? Like that's scripture alone. But the one that I did not grow up knowing is, is this one, soli de gloria, to the glory of God alone. It's like the the reformers were saying, you know what, there is one goal here for the church and that goal is to be be a glorifier of God. That is our job. The Westminster Catechism says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy enjoy him forever. In other words, man's chief end, specifically through the church, is to experience and express the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And I would just say that if we're supposed to eat and drink to the glory of God, don't you think we should do church to the glory of God, considering it is the place where he has chosen to show off his glory? I think it's important to note that glory is spoken of in every Pauline epistle except for Philemon, which is the only letter that Paul wrote that isn't sent wasn't sent to either a church or a church leader the one the one letter where he doesn't talk about the glory of God is the one letter where he's not writing to a church or a church leader and it says to me that Paul understood that this whole thing that we call church you know we're getting the cameras up we got the soundboard going we got musicians coming in and out we got presentation software all here you know we're, we're trying to be as safe as possible so many ins and outs and you know why we should be doing all of it no matter how it looks what flavor or feel it is no matter if it's 2020 or last year or the year that we're going to do in 2021 no matter what is happening around us there's one single aim here and it is for us to bring glory to God. That's the only reason that this thing exists in the first place. And by the way, we'll do it in eternity. If you're thinking about heaven, you know, you should look at the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, I love the book of Revelation. There's so many arguments about what it's about and how it plays out in the world. And, uh, you know, I think those arguments are fine, and I actually, you know, like talking about them with people that don't hate me when I'm done. But, uh, but, I, but I think that's great. But, but what's forgotten in all that mess of the Book of Revelation? Mess. That's God's word. Sorry. But like that difficulty of the Book of Revelation is there are these incredible scenes 
where, where the veil of heaven is poured, pulled back and we get pictures into what it looks like in heaven and what it will look like for us when we get into eternity. Now, I'm somebody that believes we're going to do fun stuff in heaven. You know, I'm hoping that some of my favorite basketball players are Christians so I can play one-on-one against them in heaven. I don't think heaven's going to be boring, but I can tell you with so much certainty that one of the things that will be unique about heaven is that we will have an unquenchable desire to glorify God because we will recognize what he did in the gospel and what he did for us because of his love and because of his grace and because of his mercy and because of his goodness. Uh, it's funny, I have, uh, I have Hacksaw Ridge written over here and I have no idea what that analogy was. That was from my old sermon. It must have been really good, but something about that. Uh, but I want to I talk about Randy Travis for a minute. Um, and uh, I've been to two Randy Travis concerts. Uh, it's funny because I've been to like five total concerts in my life. Uh, and twice it was Randy Travis. And it was, I like Randy Travis. I'm a Randy Travis fan. But, it, you know, it just was kind of like invitations. Um, and it's so interesting to see these two concerts because, because Randy Travis, at both of them, had the same really awesome, incredible voice. Uh, he also, and he, he said this at the first concert I was at, he also had uh, a really limited musical ability. He actually said it, at his concert that he had uh, less musical ability than anybody else probably that you know for their music. Like he can barely play a guitar. He, he knows like, you know, as many chords as me on the guitar or whatever. He just happens to have a magical voice. Uh, and so the, the skills were the same. You know, band members were probably the same. The bus was probably the same. But the concerts were so different. Both concerts, not church services, but so different. And, and here's why. The first concert I went to was just after Randy Travis had had his own kind of personal spiritual revival. You may remember the song, Three Wooden Crosses. Oh, breaks my heart. Love that song. Yeah. Uh, yeah, me and Diane. Like, I love that song. That whole album is actually really incredible if you've never listened to it. Um, and that concert, a concert, right? was so much aimed at bringing God glory. It, it just oozed from every part of what he did. And then, and then, same guy, same ability, same voice. You know, a few years later, whatever, I go, and it was just after he had been arrested because he was on drugs, was naked outside of his car, some weird story like that. And there was no no effort to bring glory to God at all. And I wondered the whole time, would there be, you know, because he could have glorified God even with those mistakes, right? We all know that. He could have got up there. He could have said, look, I've done this thing, but, but I still believe in this God who saves me from these things. And look, it's, it's not, I'm not perfect and I haven't been perfect, but, but, but know that I believe all that stuff I wrote. There was, there was nothing like that. It was just a show. And I think as a church, we can do all the same stuff, right? And it can go good or bad or otherwise. We have the same abilities one year to the next. But the difference will always be in whether or not our aim is to bring the glory to God that he deserves. That's what's gonna make the difference in our church. And the difference in your life, look, you're gonna go through good and bad, but we all know like that's, 
You know, that's, usually, that's week to week, and we've had a bad run here, but it's not the first bad run you've had. Brynn and I had a two-year run a few years ago that, you know, this year's been really hard, but that year, too, we were just so tired at the end of it. And you're going to make your decisions and go through your life, and there's going to be good and bad. Of that, I'm absolutely certain. This will not be your last bad year. You're going to have other ones where just really terrible things happen to you. And the, the question is just going to be for you and your life. Do you believe that God is able? Are you going to allow God's power to be made perfect in your weakness? And will your aim be the glory of God no matter what you face? I would just say for us, I would ask, first let me ask this question. Where are you placing the weight of your life if that's connected to glory? I mean, what are you trying to bring recognition to and I do believe the, the questions that I asked at the beginning really are going to answer that for you. You know, you ask what you're trying to accomplish in life. Is it more money? Is it, I mean, really, what are, what's the aim? You know, what's the success? What do you consider a win? And if it's not bringing God glory, then you're going to have a lot of losses. But if it's always bringing God glory, then you have a, then you're going to keep doing that, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we face. And so I would just say, like, what, what is it about your life? And I would ask our church, and I'm asking myself, like, what are we aiming for here? You know, where are we placing our weight? Is it in more people? Is it in a better online experience? I mean, where are we placing our weight? And if it's not the glory of God, if it's not him, then we're doing it wrong. And so here's the deal. No matter what you face, no matter what you are facing, no matter how hard it is, no matter how much it sucks that momentum was, you know, stopped in whatever area of life momentum was stopped in, no matter how frustrated you are that you've given up eight years of your life to, to keep something going and now all of a sudden you're, you're just going back in time like it never happened, no matter what you're dealing with, the question you should be asking is how do I glorify God? How do we as a church glorify God? I wrote this for that event. I said, I'm going to say it in two ways, and I'll probably mess up the second one because it's not written down, but here's how I wrote it the first time. A ministry that doesn't aim to glorify God is not worth celebrating, but a ministry that does aim to glorify God is always worth celebrating. And I would say this, a life that doesn't aim to glorify God, nah, I don't like that. Give me one second. A life that doesn't aim to glorify God will never be fulfilling, but a life that does aim to glorify God will always be fulfilling. 